I want to start out by reading a verse that uh, probably uh, is one of the most precious verses to uh, believers throughout the world, Romans 8, 28. The theme of tonight is God meant it for good. Obviously, we're talking about the cross, but we're talking about much more uh, the things that are happening in your life. So, it's on the screen if you care to look in your own Bible. We will read this. You follow along. Romans 8.28, most of you know this out of one version or another. You've probably memorized it out of a variety of versions, but we'll read this out of the ESV. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Father, you know that I have looked forward to this assembling together, the gathering of the saints here at Heritage. I I am so thrilled. I, I, I just can't express adequately my joy in seeing people back today, tonight, some for the first time in in a long time, and see some of those who are here tonight and visiting with us. Again, I'm I'm joy-filled, and I thank You, Lord, that You give us this time to remember in the midst of a hectic day and a hectic week and a hectic year and a lot of things going on, God, it's good to stop and remember what has caused us to be in Christ. And so tonight as we consider the goodness of the most evil act ever perpetrated in all history, we ask for fresh insight, for wisdom, for the ability to see not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but an event that still rings with truth for those of us who are living today. We thank You and we praise You for this, and we look forward to celebrating around Your table at the conclusion of this time together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I said a minute ago that perhaps uh, Romans 8.28 is one of the favorite verses of Christians. Well, uh, in the Old Testament, I've discovered that the story of Joseph is one of the favorite stories uh, of people. It seems like that when you get Christians together and you start talking about stories out of the Scripture, inevitably it will come up. And I, I, I want you to notice the parallel between what we just read, Romans 8, 28, and a verse that we'll read out of the life of Joseph. Now, you'll remember with me that far more than just a a a, a human rags-to-riches story, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament is really a focus upon God as the sovereign benefactor in Joseph's life and in all of our lives. He gets to the end of his life, or the end of at least... um, when the brothers come together and there's a culmination of a revealing of himself to his brothers. And I, I don't know, but I guess that probably in Joseph's mind, 
he, he was thinking about all that had transpired as he, as he looked at his brothers and the, the, let me just say it like this, the conspiracy against him by those who were supposed to be those who loved him the most. Betrayal, an incredibly evil intent, even murderous, that resulted in slavery and Joseph being falsely accused and imprisoned and all of the rest of that. But he gets to this grand culmination. Now, it's not the end of the story because it's, it's God's redemptive story. But at a point in time, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says these incredible words that parallel with Romans 8, 28. He said, and for you, you meant, now look at this word, evil against me. But God meant it for good. As I was looking at that this week, I wondered, what did Joseph mean by the it? I think he meant the whole story with all of its details. Now, parallel that with what we are here to observe tonight and to think about. How could something, and I want you to really personalize this, how could something so evil, so wicked, possibly be meant for good? And I'm going to ask several questions tonight, but let me ask another one. Is this, how could God be a part of that? And then let's look at the cross. How could the single most diabolically wicked event, humanly speaking, be used for good? Push the pause button. Bring it up to date. Look around you. Look in the world today. The various events. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've said this before. When I open my computer and I'm doing a search, all of a sudden the, the, there are pop-ups with the news of the day. And there are times when I'll click the button to go through the the things that are happening in our world today and in our nation. And, and seriously, I almost get sick to my stomach. And I look at that, and I know you do too. I heard the amens. But, but now what I want you to do is to pull that in closer because there are things happening to some of you in some of your lives right now. And so, what I want you to get out of this is that the most important thing that you can do tonight, some of you, some of you here right now, is to orient or rather reorient your thinking about these events. And I'm talking about not just the ones at arm's length out there, but the events going on in your world right now and rethinking those events according to what God was doing on the cross. Don't think first about the human cause, but think about the divine purpose. Now, to help us ask this question adequately, I'm going to ask a question that I did not originate, uh, but it, it, it bears asking, and it really is an ultimate question. Who killed Jesus? Was it a massive conspiracy, masterminded ultimately by the devil that included government leaders and 
religious leaders and the media, the scribes, I'm, the scribes in those days were probably a lot like the media today. The masses made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Could something like this, 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 this incredibly big conspiracy, could it actually happen? It did. And because there's nothing new under the sun, it is still happening today. And a lot of you are sitting there and the wheels are turning. Where is he going with this? I hope you see where I'm going with it. Our adversary, the devil, is still out to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you look around you and you look, again, draw it in, and you realize this even for your own life, and oftentimes even the Christian is brought to a state of despair and questioning how God could mean any of this mess for good, that in itself is another reason that we need to ori reorient our thinking to biblical reality. So, again, the question, who killed Jesus? Well, in one sense, a very human sense, Peter says it like this in his first sermon in the book of Acts. He said, you did. He said that to the masses. You did. You, well, by the instrumentality, by the hands of, of lawless men, but, but you did. But there's an ultimate answer that I, I don't think it's really going to surprise pretty much everybody in this room, but it could surprise some of you. In an ultimate sense, and it's absolutely undeniable, we're going to see this in a minute, ultimately the answer to the question who killed Jesus is God did. Because ultimately there was a far greater purpose behind the evil conspiracy, and God was the mastermind behind it. Why? Let's go back to the very first statement. Because God meant it for good. Romans 8, 28, let's just review and run through some scriptures and, and kind of open this thing up. What does it say? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Right? Hold on. Have you ever heard anybody misquote the Bible and they're not Christians? And so they'll basically give a general kind of a, 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 of a positive thinking kind of spin. Well, everything is going to work out. Does everything always work out? And usually what people mean by that in the way that we think it ought to work out. Do things always turn out good? It all depends on your definition of good. You see, the promises of God are very specific, and this one is as well. And if you're a believer in Christ, you can take heart in this. We know that all things, that in all things, God causes them to work together for good. For whom? Very specific. To those who love God, to those 
who are called according to his purpose. But let's go back to that other thing. It may still be rattling around in your mind. Who killed God? Did Jesus, did God really kill him? Did, did God really put his own son to death? In that same chapter, chapter 8, look at what it says. And sometimes we pass over verses like this. He, the Father, God, who did not spare his own son, And why? But delivered him over for us all. It's the message of the cross. Again, in Isaiah 53, we just read that a few moments ago, but did you notice that particular part of it in verse 10 where it says, at least in the translation that I'm using right here, but the Lord was pleased. Did you get that? The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Why? Because God is a, is a sadistic monster? Because God believes in cosmic child abuse? No, it's because there was, and there always has been, and there always will be a redemptive plan in that to make his soul an offering for guilt. So... so Think of it this way. God didn't just react to a big conspiracy that was going on or, or an event that was going on the day that Jesus was crucified, but from the beginning, He had a redemptive plan. Did He not? You know, it's really instructive to listen to the early Christians. I told somebody the other day, they were asking about our church, and I I, I just, I said, I, lo I love our church. Our church is not perfect, but I, I really do love our church. I love our leadership. I love our church. I, I love what God has done and is doing and will do in the life of our church. But, but I go back sometimes to that early church, and I, I take a little snapshot, and I think to myself, these guys did not have all the advantages we do. And yet when, when it, it came down to push or to shove, and when they were under the gun, maybe under the sword, they always had a, a, an attitude. This is right out of the chute, folks. And look at how they believed that there was a huge conspiracy going on. For truly in this city they were gathered together, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the leaders of the Jew, Jewish and the Gentile worlds, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now, follow the thought here. The single most sinful event, again, in all of human history, a, a massive diabolical conspiracy And in case there is any doubt, if you back up in this same passage, in their prayer, they're quoting Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot conspire in vain, by the way? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. And I can only think that as they were quoting Psalm 2, that they might 
have been thinking of Pharaoh who set himself up as a king against God. And he soon learned that was not really a very smart thing to do. There, there were a lot of guys, but I think most notably of not only Pharaoh but Sennacherib, the Assyrian who came against Israel, and Hezekiah cried out to God, and, and God said, I will deliver. And, has, and Sennacherib was saying, you don't depend on God. He can't do anything for you. Why do the kings of the earth set themselves? Do they not realize? Here's why. And here's why people, not only kings, but the peoples set themselves against God. Somehow, they do not believe God is in control. They believe that they're in control. As I said a few moments ago, they, they found out differently, far differently. I think sometimes that we, it's akin to, well, have you ever seen a, a dad playing with uh, his, his, his child, maybe a grandchild, maybe it's a grandfather playing with a grandchild, and, and the grandchild or the child is just a toddler, okay? And, and the little guy or the little girl runs up and grabs the daddy around the legs. I got you, daddy. Now I got you. <laughs> and sometimes the dad will play along. I mean, dads, didn't you do that when your kids were little? And you'd go, oh, yeah, you, you got me, and you'd fall down. And did they really have you? Who was really in control? You see, all the people that conspired, this, I, I, and I hope you're drawing at least some parallels. Again, is there a spiritual conspiracy going on? Could there be other conspiracies going on? Who is in control in all of them? And people who set their, themselves against God unwittingly are just doing what God wanted them to do all along. And that was a part of their prayer. I I've read some people that really don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. I don't know how they read this book, frankly. How do you go to all the Old Testament prophecies? Was God just a good guesser? No, He knew exactly what He was doing. He has a purpose. And maybe those early Christians, when they were crying out to God and they were praying, were thinking back to Joseph once again. Here's all this evil that is meant against us. But God, God, you have a plan. I don't see your plan yet, but your plan is fully redemptive. And so while they meant it for evil, you meant it for good. And Joseph goes on to explain a little bit of that, that good that was happening in his day that would issue forth into what God would do through Christ at another time to bring about that many people would be kept alive as they are today. But I tell you what, here's one thing you can, you can know about these brand new baby Christians. They were gripped, and, and I, I pray that we would be increasingly gripped 
by the reality that they, they were, that we are part of something much bigger than our current circumstances, something that was planned before the foundation of the world and would ultimately culminate in the salvation for the world. As a church, they were on the attack. By the way, it's always uh, interested me that there in in Acts chapter 4, when that young church was praying, uh, here's how they start out. Their prayer. Now, that may not be new or earth-shattering to you, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything in them. But I have to confess sometimes that I, I may mouth the words, but maybe in my heart, I'm not thinking sovereign Lord. I may be thinking more puny God. Are you really able to take this evil and make good come out of it? They knew that this was not some little local deity. This was the sovereign Lord, the creator of heaven and earth and the seas and everything in them. I'm further struck by the fact that they didn't ask the sovereign Lord to change the minds of the authorities that were coming after them. I I, I think that's interesting. They didn't even ask for... God to give them safety in the midst of it. They didn't even ask for an escape of some kind. What did they ask for? Do you remember? Anybody remember what they asked for in that prayer? Boldness to declare the word. Because they had this incredible sense, God meant it for good. Now, folks, let's just write it down that there's a lot about this that we simply cannot figure out. But let's remember this, that when Jesus went to the cross, he was in complete control. He didn't go as an example. He wasn't a martyr. And he wasn't a victim. Jesus Christ, while never ceasing to be fully God, had to take on human nature to be fully man, because without it, he could not experience death for us. And so that's really the key tonight. It wasn't, it wasn't his blood by the, the bleeding when he was sweating or the thorns or the whips or the nails or any of that. It was by his death on the cross and his blood shed on the cross. He had to die. He was buried because God meant it for good. And what looked like A day of defeat was actually a day of incredible victory where Jesus Christ was being publicly displayed, and here's a big, rich biblical word, as a propitiation in His blood. He was the only one, He is the only one who can substitute for you and for me and take upon Himself our sins and the sins of all who believe in Him. And you know what? Tonight as we take of the Lord's Supper, the measure of His love for us will only increase when when we again realize 
how undeserving we really are of His love. In fact, how deserving we really are for the penalty of our sins. But Hebrews says it like this. And as we take that cup in a minute that holds the two elements, Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness.